right. So we've like covered all the gym dragons. What is your guys' favorite gym? And what's your birthstone? Do you say gym? It sounded like you said gym. You know what? We're just getting started. It's my favorite gym. Finally. Uh, Finally. Four years for a deep dive into gyms. I mean, for me, probably I I like sapphires. I like blue. Blue is my favorite color. The sapphire blue is pretty much my favorite color blue. So uh, easy answer for me, sapphire. Uh, ruby. I uh, Red is my favorite color and always has been. And so <laughs> ruby. Like It's not, it is no deep in that. We're dudes. It doesn't go deep in that. What's I your like favorite red. Color? I like blue. Um, yeah. Mine's also sapphire. Actually, my engagement ring is a uh, sapphire. I told them, don't get me a diamond. I want a sapphire. Diamonds are boring. Um, but that's also my birthstone as well. My birthstone is, I'm looking it up now, pearl. <laughs> the June birthstones are pearl, alexandrite, and moonstone. I didn't think moonstone was an actual fucking thing. I thought no. which is what we said for dragons. I didn't know that was an actual moonstones are a thing. Why are moonstones not considered a gym dragon then? I don't know. I don't know. We have so many, I suppose. Yeah, Terry, uh, what, your birthday's in what? February. February. February twenty. So that's, am- that's amethyst. Amethyst is right. Me and Iggy Azalea. <laughs> I have far too many February birthdays, so I know that that was amethyst. That's, that's I'm sorry, do you share a birthday with Iggy Azalea? Is that why you know that? No, I think I know <laughs> that it's in both, February I think sometime. we're both February babies. And I'm probably wrong on that, but I think we are. We gotta oh, Google no. this. Oh no, Iggy Azalea's real name is Amethyst. Is that oh, what it yeah, is? That, that might be what it is. There's <laughs> some link, there's some link that <laughs> I'm it is. clutching onto with me and Iggy Azalea. Iggy Azalea. <laughs> I love Iggy Azalea. You have yeah, a, her you real name is Amethyst. Princess Diana's um, engagement ring was a sapphire pepperina. Nice. See, that fits with me being royalty as well. Any, yeah, so any, <laughs> any updates on Princess Diana or Iggy Azalea, come to me. <laughs> you have very specific yeah. knowledge. And only things this is not where I saw this cold open go. <laughs> <laughs> you guys want to know something about celebrities and their links to gems? Terry's your guy. Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode of It's a Mimic, where we continue our conversation on monsters in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. I am Terry, and with me today are Pepperina and Adam, and this episode is called Gem Dragons, Multifaceted and a Cut Above. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters is going to wrap up the conversation on gym dragons by looking at their ultimate forms, a unique monster, and an alternative lineup on the big scalies. But before we get started, I wanted to ask you guys a question. We've covered crystal, topaz, emerald, sapphire, and amethyst dragons. Is there a gem you feel deserves a dragon? And what special feature do you think it would have? You guys want to roll initiative on this? Let's do it. Yeah. One. Great start, Terry. <laughs> I, I got a I got a 19. I got an eight. Um I uh I I'm legitimately shocked we don't have a diamond dragon. Right. Yeah. I guess and crystal kind of takes yeah, it, like diamond and crystal would be the same. It was, is crystal a gem or is that like a 
a kind of like because you can get crystal quartz. Crystal is its own thing, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And they use the term crystal in a lot of like other terms. Yeah, like for... like the crystalline versions of this, and like it's it it was interesting the one with crystal and not diamond, and I wonder why. But like I don't know, I there are a lot of answers there because there's a lot of gems, but like we didn't get a diamond one, and you'd think that it would be all about I don't know, like super slashing damage and super difficult to like immune to the basic kinds of damage and stuff right. like mm-hmm. it'd be hard and it'd be sharp and that right? seems to line up with his counterparts of gold and red diamond. Yeah. the gems make sense yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's weird what uh, the big one is amethyst and when you line up gold red and amethyst it just doesn't feel the same right mm-hmm. Anyways, Pepsi, i know yeah, yeah we only have the one ruby one which before i knew anything about gem dragons before fizzbins came out i painted i i got through all of the like regular dragons and like five times over and i was like i need something different (laughs) so i painted a ruby dragon not knowing that it actually like that gem dragons were a thing um but we don't really see any lore or anything any mechanics on the one ruby dragon that they say exists do we where where did we hear that the ruby dragon exists? It, I know it's in previous dragon is Sadior, I believe, which is like their yeah, god. Their god. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's so that's dead. the only one. But like the lore and that on that specific one is so vague. So I would just like to see more information about that, I think. Even that's strange to have the ruby dragon as their god, right? I mean, I know we touched on the diamond uh, a moment ago, but to for the equivalent or like the counterpart of like Bahamut as the platinum dragon, diamond would make sense there as well for me. Mm-hmm. And maybe have ruby in place of a gold dragon and red dragon. Or or like you're right, but like I feel beside platinum, that could have been the crystalline dragon of many colors. Like it could have been something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's very strange how they lined up the gem dragons. Like there wasn't the, that level of over, of oversight there. For me, I think a pearl dragon would be good. Something along the lines of, you know, like a dragon turtle, a pearl dragon. Um, so we have another uh, aquatic option. I think that could have been, uh, I, think, I think that's a miss there. We could have done something with that one. So pearl dragon for me. Fucking, it, it, it's a fucking dragon body with a clam head. <laughs> just a just massive shoots, clam. Just shoots pearls out. <laughs> as, the, as the lair would have been amazing. Um, yeah. If it was inside of a huge clam. Which is the goal for all of us, really, isn't it? Um, I was waiting. I was waiting for you, Terry, to get there. <laughs> it was there. It was the, old Terry was like, make uh-huh. the joke. Make the joke. They'll edit I, it out this if is they don't just want it. fulfilling some Little Mermaid fantasies for you. It's somewhere. better to have the content recorded so we can remove <laughs> it if we want to. And providing options for the editor. Is that what you tell yourself? You keep sending me those dick pics every weekend. It's, yeah, that's just it. it just the subject just says content. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Patreon exclusive. Yeah. Here's some more content for you. Uh, <laughs> brilliant. Okay. Um, great. Okay. So before we get any deeper into this, let's cut to an ad break. We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on dragons in fifth edition. For all those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. 
If you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. Hey everybody, clearly we missed some episodes last week. We had run into some technical difficulties, but this one now that we're listening to and the undead episode on Eternal Servitude, which will be coming out later today, are both done now and they're up and running and we should be back on track. Our editing computer is actively trying to die on us, so I'm doing my best to keep it alive as long as possible because we're still a few months off of being able to afford a new one. This means that I have to edit in fits and starts, and I often lose some of the work if I don't keep an eye on the internal temperature of this machine, so... The good news, though, is that last week on the Patreon, the Legend Lore episode on the Lost Mine of Fandelver was scheduled weeks in advance, so that was available for Bronze Tier and above. For a number of crazy reasons, we like record, edit, and schedule our episodes out of order, so even if we end up going dark for a little bit because the computer dies, we will have the odd episodes trickling in as time ticks slowly ever further towards the heat death of the universe, or at least the fucking heat death of this goddamn laptop. Anyway, anyway, I'm not frustrated at 4 o'clock in the morning when I've got to be at work in three more hours. No. Anyway... Back to the show. <laughs> and the first of the gem dragons we're going to be discussing then will be the gem great worm. And I just want to take a moment to touch on the artwork, which is in Fizzbands here. Uh, this is a great scene of a gem dragon decimating a city that looks to be a city in the Underdark, uh, unless that's just how the picture fades out, but it seems to be an underground city to me. I would guess a sapphire dragon, and that looks like a thunder breath weapon, but it probably is difficult to um, uh, to illustrate a thunder breath weapon and not make it look like lightning breath, but I think it's supposed to be thunder breath. Gem dragons themselves are fascinated with, with cultivating their dragon sight, and they attempt to fuse their awareness of their echo echoes across the material plane and we've talked about um uh, dragon echoes before and uh, they are known to do this more so than even their counterparts um, in the chromatic and the metallic kin some dragons believe gem dragons believe that by fusing their echoes they are taking steps towards reuniting their shattered consciousness of sardior we mentioned earlier which is their ruby dragon uh, their ruby dragon god whereas others are seeking to exploit their knowledge of the many worlds of the material plane and it becomes a source of their power. Uh, and a gem dragon who does become a great worm then has access to unimaginable power to the point that I don't even understand how you could beat them. So gem dragons' ascension uh, into becoming great worms transforms their bodies to appear very crystal-like, and their scales start to sparkle like diamonds. Their breath weapons become incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful um, with crushing force damage that can stop almost any creature in its track. But Great Worm's most powerful ability is its telekinesis, which is on an unparalleled scale. A gem Great Worm can, t- can telekinetically seize essentially an entire crowd, multiple creatures, um, and that is just within a line of sight limit, I believe. I don't think there's a limit on the amount of creatures. Um, they can then carry those helpless folks off to the dragon's lair or do whatever they want to do with them. So becoming a great worm is akin to achieving apio. I've never used this word until today. Uh, maybe you guys have apotheosis. It yep. sounds like a Harry Potter spell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you pronounced um, it properly. Yeah, 
<laughs> many great worms are considered uh, deities and are worshipped by humanoids and other mortal races. I think it makes sense that when a dragon gets to the stage of a great worm, it makes sense that humanoids would uh, would see, would see that as a god. And while other dragons respected the, the power of great worms, they did not necessarily worship them as gods. They have their own gods. There is a group of gem dragons um, in the D&D lore that are known as the Thanes of Sadior. This is a group of five ge uh, gem great worms, one of each of the five types of the gem dragons. And their, their goal is to absorb every one of their echoes. And the ultimate goal is to uh, is to reform Sardior. So they're essentially trying to bring their, uh, their dragon god back. Sardior, according to the internet, is pronounced Sardior. Um, and was the dragon god of night, psionics, and secrets. Uh, and he was also the master of the gem dragons. So for a gem great worm, this is considered gargantuan, typically neutral. We're looking with their natural armor. We have an armor class of 21 here. And their hit points are, by the stat block, would be 26 D20 plus 234, which averages out at 507 hit points. A number of different speeds. They have a standard speed of 60 feet, a burrowing speed of 60 feet, a flying speed of 120 feet. And what's important to note is they are considered to hover, like a, like a ghost would hover or a beholder, like they can never be knocked prone. Uh, they also have a swim speed of 60 feet. Their, their their top stats are uh, intelligence. I'm going to note that as an intelligence of 30, which gives you a plus 10 modifier, closely followed by constitution and strength, then followed by their charisma, their wisdom. Their lowest stat is their dexterity of 14, which is a plus two. I can't even think, are there are any dragons particularly dexterous? I think we've covered this before, but I can't think of one. No, no, <clears throat> it's... Dexterity is not agility the way that we think it should be. The same way that wisdom is not wisdom, it's, it should be called awareness. Right. Dexterity in in fifth edition is about because it affects your AC, and they're already like gargantuan creatures. They're absolutely massive, and they've got you know natural armor and whatnot. Their AC is pretty high, but you should still be able to hit them because they're fucking huge. So yeah. yeah, we don't we don't see like yes, they're probably really, really fast and they can you know change direction on a dime and stuff, but that's not what dexterity is. It's an right. extrapolation of of how AC and deck saves and shit work, right? Can you get out of the way of things is yeah. the real question. So for their saving throws, they have a number of saving throws with very high modifiers. Uh, they have a dexterity save, a constitution save, they get a wisdom save, and they get a charisma save. Three out of four of those are a, a modifier of plus 15 or above. So that's incredible. I mean, they're, they're saving most of the time. Uh, for skills, they get arcana, history, and perception. Damage immunities will depend on the type that they are, uh, the type of Great Worm that they are. So Amethyst, for example, would be a Force Damage Immunity. Uh, Topaz would be Necrotic. Emerald would be Psychic. Crystal would be Radiant. And Thunder, Sapphire would be Thunder Damage Immunity. Condition immunities for all of them, Charmed, Frightened, Poisoned, and Prone, because they hover. Senses, True Sight of 120 feet. Their passive perception is 25. By the stat block, the languages that they know are common and draconic, but I think at this stage, uh, basically most of the common and even uncommon languages uh, they would know. I mean, I think they're going to know most of the humanoid languages, and then you could probably argue like Infernal and Abyssal. They've had enough experience with all of that, um, probably under common as well. Challenge rating for this one of 26. And we'll go into their abilities here. So they have Gem Awakening, which is huge. This recharges after a short or a long rest. Essentially, what this means is if the Great Worm is reduced to zero hit points, its current hit point total is then resets to 400 hit points. Remember, it starts with 507, 
you bring it to zero, it instantly resets to 400. It then instantly recharges its breath weapon. It regains any expended uses of its legendary resistance. Um, and additionally, the Great Worm can now use its mass telekinesis action, which we'll get to, um, during the next hour. The If this happens, uh, by the stat block, uh, you're instructed to award the party an additional 90,000 experience points. Um, you would get 90,000 experience points for killing this anyway. So now you're essentially doubling that if you don't use experience, you know. Chances are this is the end of your campaign anyway. Um, but uh, but yeah, that is noted. Legendary resistances, they get four per day. It's usually three for, for ancients and adults, I think. So four per day. They have an unusual nature in that they do not require food or drink. Actions, Great Worm gets to make, it has a multi-attack, so one bite attack and two claw attacks. Just to give you a little bit on the stats of this, it's a plus 17 to hit. And we're looking at a 15-foot reach. The claw attack is a 10-foot reach, but it's still plus 17 to hit. Huge amount of damage. Um, we're looking at an average of 20 for the bite, an average of 18 for the claw attack. Their breath weapon, as it normally would, recharges on a 5 or a 6. It's crushing force damage. It is a 300-foot cone, and each creature in that area is looking to make a DC 25 dexterity saving throw, or they're taking 11 D12 force damage, which averages out at 71. That is a huge amount of damage for a 300-foot cone. Uh, on a success, they would take half as much, and they would not be knocked prone. You're also knocked prone if you fail that. For the mass telekinesis, so this is um, um, an, an ability that I've only seen with the Great Worm. So the Great Worm can target any number of creatures or objects that it can see within 120 feet of it. Um, the object or the creature cannot weigh more than 4,000 pounds. That's most things will not. Uh, and objects can't be targeted if they're being worn or they're carried. Uh, so it's for each targeted creature, they're required to pass a DC 26 strength saving throw or they're going to be restrained by the great worm's telekinetic grip at the end of that creature's turn they can repeat the saving throw but at the end of the great worm's turn if they've failed that um the great worm can then move each creature or object within that telekinetic grip up to 60 feet in any direction oh, oh yeah, yeah. It goes oh. Up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh but not beyond 120 feet of itself in addition it can choose any number of creatures restrained in this way and then deal 7d12 force damage to it that's an average of 45. um as part of its actions the great room can also also has psionic spell casting um uh, so we're looking at a spell save of dc 26 it's a plus 18 to hit and it can do once per day any of these spells dispel magic each of these spells dispel magic force cage plane shift reverse gravity and time stop which is a massive spell bonus actions it can change shape into a into a medium or a small size creature this is a bonus action for a great worm that's huge it also has psychic step which means it can magically teleport to an unoccupied space within 60 feet of it as a bonus action legendary actions it gets three legendary actions for one action it can take a claw attack for two actions it can use its uh, psychic step or spell casting which means you can cast time stop as a bonus action uh by the way or as a legendary action uh, i should say uh psychic beam for three actions that's a great worm emits a beam of psychic energy in a 90 foot line it's 10 feet wide each creature in the area makes a dc 26 intelligence saving throw or they're taking 5d10 psychic damage on a failed save uh, or half as much on a successful one. So that's the stats. Immediate that's fucking wild. Stat. That's crazy. Yeah. It's insane. It's yeah. insane. Okay, so uh, let's... Uh, I have some questions for you guys. We'll go into a conversation for the next 10 minutes or so. Why don't we roll initiative first, and then I'll throw the questions at you. I got another 19. I got 19. another one. <laughs> Two ones in a row. 
15. You well, 15? at least you're not asking yourself questions like we normally do in these I things. mean, that normally is the way, right? <laughs> but now people won't believe it. Two ones yeah. in a row, Terry, just because you're trying to... Uh, no, no, no. D&D &D players believe that two ones can happen in a row. <laughs> you know, they know. Yeah. They know. It's happened to all of us this weekend, mm -hmm. probably. Okay, so, uh, Adam, you're going first. Uh, any thoughts on a quest related to a GM Great Worm? CR 26. This is beyond, like... I can make an argument that that a level twenty party can fight a Demogorgon or uh, ancient, you know, red dragon. Your CR twenty ones to twenty threes with enough, you know, kerfuckery and magic items and plot points and you know, epic boons and shit. We can we can level up the guys to be able to fight that CR twenty six. No, no. I mean, if it was the Tarask who's not intelligent and is just walking around eating cities. Maybe you can strategize that. You're not going to be able to strategize your way past a fucking great worm. So, like, when it comes to this, I'm thinking that we have to get to a point where we are so high leveled that when I'm doing my dragon campaign, I'm going to start with Horde of the Dragon Queen. I'm then going to move on to Rise of Tiamat. And then I'm going to sit down and look at, okay, probably a homebrew campaign, um, which is going to revolve around an ancient red dragon who's powering up and you know it's going to be dragons 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 and now we can do adults and ancients and stuff and then i'm going to reveal at the very end that hey you guys can keep leveling you can just tip, like multi-class into other things and start to like continue to level up um uh, beyond level 20 just because we've got to get to the point where we're dealing with epic world-ending level dragon shit. We're going to raise the dead dragon god, not release the dragon god from hell, raise a dead dragon god. That's fucking intense. So I'm totally going after these this Council of Five Great Worms, and I'm going to spend probably three years building to that, right? The gem dragons will be featured all the way through the campaign to some degree, to reveal this conspiracy that hey we're going to bring sardior back but in order to do that we do have to wipe out the material plane right like it's going to have to be something like that right so um or we need to help them bring sardior back but the idea of fighting one of like five of these things let alone one it's just it's it's wild it's wild so i don't know like i don't know what else you do besides end of a campaign epic dragon start with horde of the dragon queen and work your way up right like yeah yeah that makes sense pepperina desperately flipping through a book <laughs> i was looking time. for a quote um to make sure that i had it right so when we went over topaz dragons there is a quote from Fisben um that says sometimes the evening sun catches a topaz dragon just right and i forget who i'm talking to thinking it's my dear sardier returning to me at last i would get Fisben involved if they're bringing sardier back would he want that or would he understand that it shouldn't happen? What What's wild to me here is that, yes, that's great. What's wild is that Fizban himself is the human equivalent, like the human form mm -hmm. of uh, Paladine, who is the Dragonlance version of um, uh, Bahamut, right? So, yeah. yeah, like, that's that alone is just this wild thing as well. Like, Bahamut trying to bring Sardior back. That's mm -hmm. that's crazy. That's loads of fun. I love that. Yeah, for me, I think I would want to do something around 
I love that gem awakening ability. And uh, maybe some I can link it maybe to like the gemstone heart of the great worm or something. And I, you know, I would have to flesh it out the backstory, but I like the idea of maybe you would have um unlikely allies and that for whatever reason the metallics and the chromatics need to team up together. Um, uh, because a gem great worm is just simply becoming too powerful. And it maybe even though they're neutral, it, it's going to knock the balance out. Um, and so it could be an excuse to have a lot of chromatic allies uh, to help you essentially steal this gemstone heart uh, from a great worm, because then another creature can have that gem awakening ability. And that would maybe be the next step of what happens after that. Where does your alliance stand after you if you do get to defeat this great worm? Uh, because both the chromatics and the metallics would want this gemstone heart. But I would build a quest around that gemstone heart because of the uh, the gem awakening ability of restoring hit points after death. I, I really like that. You're talking about the gemstone heart. You know, Terry, you remember in my campaigns, if you like eat the heart of a dragon, you get in, increased to maximum hit points. And, right. Um, and like if you bathe in their blood for a certain amount of time, then you get the resistance to whatever that element is for a while. And, like there's all this dragon shit. For gem dragons, particularly like the great worms, I would say like, you know that you could like get their gems, like steal their gems and maybe like, like um their gemstone heart could you know sit in your trophy room and every time that you like look at it you can see the reflection of the soul of the dragon right right to like communicate mm -hmm. with you shit like that like i feel like with the with the great worms there's that additional level of the raconic power i love the idea they got to kill their echoes right as well that's huge they're mm -hmm. Working the multiverse right into this conversation. Um, so the idea that maybe you have to like look into one of these gems to see what the other ones are, right? Mm -hmm. like, like ah, there's there are a lot of possibilities here, yeah. And the gym dragons, like when we talked about the other great worms, they also have to absorb like kill their echoes and stuff. But the gym dragons, specifically in my research, are very much about the multiverse and like connecting with their other echoes and things. So that would be a really easy cool way to tie that in in the multiverse and like it's built right into most of the gem dragons lore what's interesting to me about gem dragons is see we have we have neutral right on the alignment chart and we've got you know neutral good neutral evil lawful neutral chaotic neutral but then there's true neutral which is like i don't give a fuck right or i'm completely focused on me then there's unaligned which is essentially neutral as well because it's there's not enough intelligence to choose a side, right? Or to have a modus operandi besides just like eat, sleep, fuck, right? So that's that's our two different kinds of neutral. When it comes to gem dragons, our version of neutral is now I am so preoccupied with everything else beyond even this universe, beyond these planes. I am aware of all of the versions of every plane in existence. My view is so long that I do not give a shit about a blood war please yes good and evil hanging in the balance eternal battle blah 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 please that is that's fucking small potatoes compared to the fact that there are literally dozens of other versions of myself trying to kill me right mm -hmm. like they're just so far beyond the scope of awareness of even our level 20 players right i think that is a good point to move into this next part which is role playing um, so Adam, you rolled the highest, but I feel like it's a, a perfect way to, to piggyback onto that. You've got to be, you have got to be magnificent. You have to be powerful, destined, or magnificent in order to be worthy of a great worm's notice. Not even to have like a, 
uh, an interaction with, but like to just even have them glance in your direction. You have got to be able to to stand so far above everybody else that it has experienced in the last however many decades for it to like pay attention to you. And maybe you do that just by, you know, hitting it with a fucking finger of death or a meteor swarm. You know, you do a whack of damage to it and it goes, okay, look, you knocked me down a ninth of my hit points. I'm going to pay attention to you now, you bastard, right? But even then, a lot of that stuff is just like save, right? Because it, it, it has those legendary resistances. So um, you have got to be movers and shakers and and almost interrupt their plans and their scope. And I feel like great worms don't age out. They don't just get so old they die, right? I think that probably some ancient dragons do when they just don't get the horde big enough. They don't get the power. They will just get to a maximum age and then slowly wither and, and die. But a I think a great worm, force of nature, right? Like, mm -hmm. so these things are eternal. I bet they're slow and they're methodical and they will, like, if you bust into the into their chambers and we're here, we need help, that head is going to move so slowly and you're going to hear the, like, cracking of, of like, crystals breaking in its neck because it has stood so, so still looking into its whatever crystal ball or whatever, right, as it's looking to other um, multiverses. Has been so still that the the gem itself has solidified and, and become crystalline. That to move like shatters and and breaks at, at its joints, right? And I think that would be so intimidating to have this thing that is so ancient. Then and mm -hmm. the best way to for a dungeon master to give the idea of someone who's ancient is to be very slow, very deep, and very to the point. Like almost like tree beard talking, right? To give that idea that your timeline doesn't matter to me, right? And that's how that's what I think of with these these great ones. They can move quickly. What's their fly speed, Terry? Do do you have that information? I'm right there? I think. Let me double check. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because mm -hmm. um, because like I in my head I'm picturing like they are just as effective in combat. But when they're not in combat, I feel like they would be very still and very thoughtful. Mm -hmm. Sort of like Yoda. He's like with his cane. And then when yeah. we finally see him in combat, he's flipping all around. You're <laughs> like, don't expect it at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When uh... 120 seems generous because an ancient dragon, they're all different sizes, but an ancient dragon is, is about 80, 85 feet nose to the tip of its tail and will probably stand about 55 feet tall. So for 120 feet, like it's not moving. It's probably just moving the own, its own length of its own body. You know, it's not going very far in proportion to itself really yeah i i keep seeing okay so total sidebar here is um i really love giants i really love the idea of scale and as i'm working on you know call of cthulhu stuff i'm always looking up you know cthulhu monsters and stuff and i keep running across these videos that people make these these cgi videos that they're making online of these massive creatures tall as mountains like that are taking these long strides over cities, these huge steps. And I look at it and it drives me nuts because it's breaking the laws of physics that they're moving so damned quickly, even though those footsteps look slow in comparison to how we would move. Because the bigger you are, you got to think that foot still has to move the same amount of distance, right? right? Like there's still a certain amount of energy that needs to be consumed to get that level of motion at whatever that level of speed is. So the idea that it's moving, you know, its own its own body length in a certain amount of time, that makes sense to me. When you get that big, 
it may look like you're moving slowly in comparison to how a very small creature moves, but when you think about the distance that each foot is moving or how far those wings have to flap up and down right. every single like second, how many times those wings flap, that's an incredibly fast movement. It just is not, it's it's focused on its own mobility as opposed to how it's interacting with the world. Like the physics yeah. doesn't look right because it looks like it's slow. And that's why when the Kraken comes up in Clash of the Titans, it comes up slowly, right? And it, like everything rises from the depths in a slow manner. Godzilla is slow, right? And then we see fucking King Kong or the tentacles of the Kraken whipping about. I'm like, bullshit, bullshit. God, yeah. the, the, the calorie consumption of that? No way, right? Like, <laughs> and not just that, but like, how fast is that moving? It's faster than a fighter jet, mm-hmm. right? Because just how big it is, it is, and then how much distance is being crossed. So even to stop that movement, right? If a tentacle goes whipping across that fast, how are you going to stop that momentum? There's so much weight behind it. That crack is just going to spin mm-hmm. itself over. <laughs> it's moving. And you got to think like the sonic booms that should be happening. Yeah. Right. As there's like you're creating little vacuums here and there. It, it's it's crazy to think about, but I, I really do enjoy thinking about the scale of creatures. Part okay. Of fun. A little sidebar, but it was uh, it was worth it. Role playing, Pepper. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like the idea of them absorbing, not just killing their echoes, and so that becoming part of it. Um, this would be very easy to do, especially if you were on an online one, but getting like a voice changer that creates an echo in your voice and multiple voices and them all fusing into one and having that like echoey, creepy sort of voice, like carry on, like it's multiple dragons saying the same thing. Um, I think that would be a really cool way to to layer it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to have this and the idea of it being so powerful and not just being one dragon but being multiple dragons absorbed into one to create this mass amount of power yeah it gives a great sense of uh power that's awesome Mm -hmm. i mean i think for for role-playing it you know it's it's just going to be incredibly difficult to communicate with this creature anyway even if it would allow you to I mean, like, even for us, we're all in our 30s. I don't know if anyone's tried to speak to a 22-year-old recently. Yeah, I have nothing to talk to them about. I do not know. I, yesterday, I had to Google who is Ice Spice. No idea. What is <laughs> well, I'm a 13-year-old at home, so. Uh, I'm sorry. Go. I'm sorry. Ice Spice is the sixth Spice Girl? I thought so. Yeah, I thought it was a deodorant. Like There was another Spice Girl named Michelle. A little little known fact. Really? There was a sixth Spice Girl? Um, she was there before a couple of the other ones and then got booted. <laughs> I know. I went on a deep I did a game where we all played Spice Girls. Um, and so we went on a deep dive on Spice Girl lore. So I know way too much. Spice Girl lore. Uh yeah, but but in that same vein, like it's just you how are you going to even be going to be able to communicate with them anyway? I mean, this is just such on an extreme scale. It's like asking a child their opinion on a high school science project like what what are they going to be able to give you and when you have just such a long view and and adam touched on it earlier it's just going to be incredibly difficult for you even to get their attention i think that the great one would just shift between multiple languages probably without even thinking about it like you would just get there and it would just be speaking deep speech and you just you have no idea why and it's just because it, it it knows to you essentially everything. So uh, the role playing would be, I think the challenge would be just trying to get its attention or even understand anything that it's talking about. Sorry, I got distracted. I was Googling Ice Spice. I didn't Me think too. I was, 
I, I didn't think that was a real thing, and like you, you shocked me here. And then I'm sitting here going, like, what are the other herbs and spices for KFC? <laughs> did you Google that too? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I just went to KFC the other day. I tried to get a double down, and they were out. They did. They stopped a week before. My son was extremely disappointed. I'm not up with the KFC lingo, but I know that uh, in England, a double down is something very different. <laughs> it's where the there's no bread it's just two chicken patties as the yeah, buns two two deep fried chicken breast oh. with like the filling the 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 sandwich like bacon and cheese they, they have them up here in canada every once in a while it's like a promotional for a limited time uh-huh. oh it's not just a standard thing all the time no, no, and no. it's a fucking heart attack in a greasy wrapper like it's the day it's, that i went on my facebook um like memories it, 13 years ago that day i was eating a double oh, yeah? down <laughs> so i tried to go again and they were out i was so sad <laughs> uh what about exploration and clues What's interesting to me here is um, I was thinking about the fact that they're immune to being prone. And I think that's a telekinetic thing, right? With the fact that like they hover because they use telekinesis to just move themselves about. Um, Mm -hmm. You can't knock them prone because they will catch themselves. Um, I don't think there are tracks that they leave. And I don't think that they are. I don't think that you're going to get any indication that they are there outside of their regional effects that they would have. And I would, like, depending on what they were before they were a great worm, I would use those regional effects and layer actions still. It's weird that we don't get that shit for great worms. Like, there should be a little blurb that says, hey, by the way, use the layer and regional shit from the, from you know, mm-hmm. the whatever it used to be. Um, and, uh, and, like, and here's one extra generic one that's super powerful or whatever. So I think that, again, you're dealing with a lot of your regular dragon shit. You're going to know that you're close to it because the regional effects are hitting. You're going to know that... You're, you are within its layer because the layer actions are hitting. Um, and there's going to be what what do what do they hoard? Because remember, they get powerful, their power is based on what they hoard. So depending on which gem dragon it is, they hoard different things. There's going to be fuck tons of those things around, right? Or you're they're going to be in a specific area that um that would just naturally generate these kind of things that they hoard. So that's that's kind of the exploration that I would find. Like the clues that this thing is there. I don't think it's out walking around among the people. It's not flying overhead. These things are sitting there in a room full of 150 portals with a crystal ball in the middle of it and like an opening in the ceiling so they can see the stars, right? They are and they're meditating and reading ancient texts and communing with Oh God, arch devils and and solar angels and night hags that, because they they eclipse these huge powerful creatures in power, right? So the yeah, you know what? I'm gonna tap into the night hags and the night hags are gonna be like, oh, oh shit. Well, I can't say no. This guy will eat me, right? Mm-hmm. So um, even like if they had to reach out to to Baphomet, for example, I don't know why they would, but if they did, even Baphomet would be like. Yeah, I don't want to work with you. I would love to kill you. If you ever give me an opening, I will. But holy shit, you will fucking take my face off in about 18 seconds worth of combat, right? Like, so I think that these guys can make demands of big, powerful creatures. And as such, they're not out asking the bard at the tavern, you know, what did you hear about this, right? Right. They got diviners in their fucking Rolodex just ready to go. So you had mentioned the regional effects from the past ones, um, and that got me wondering. So all of the gym dragons as a regional effect, um, 
attract their favorite food to them. Like Topaz was, I think, giant yeah. squid or something. But yeah. these don't need to eat. So would there just be an abundance of that food there with nothing there to eat it anymore? I think I would do this on a grand, grand scale, which would be like they're attracting worlds or at least celestial objects. Like they would be comets and meteor showers um, because they're they're on that kind of almost divine scale at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or at least at the very least, you know that there are lots of portals to the plane of water around here mm -hmm. just because there are colossal squids all over the place. And they're not just attracting the local squids that they want to eat. They are. They have opened portals. They figured out as ancient dragons how to op open portals to get colossal squids here. They've summoned a bunch of them. Then they forgot to eat them because they're distracted by bigger shit. And now mm -hmm. there's just fuck tons of colossal squids in the area, and like to yeah. the point where it's becoming a problem. But you also said they don't wouldn't leave tracks or signs. They do burrow. Think about how massive those holes are that they're leaving. I don't. I yes behind. They, I think that they can burrow and they would choose to move underground because gems mm -hmm. are underground. Like that seems to be the thing. Even here. like the molehills that they would leave as they burrow, like the land gets pushed up. But if they're under a city, like that could push that whole city up. And Wow. Oh my God. Could you, you know how the, the underdark is ever changing the, it's, it's geography and stuff. Maybe mm -hmm. that's because she keeps caving in because gem dragons are right. burrowing, you know, above the underdark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. Um, who's next, Paprina? Did you did you finish your little bit? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me to as a clue that there's some sort of great worm or at least a, like a heightened draconic presence with gem dragons is I think I would have like a heightened sense of religion or at least superstition in an area because of things strange things that have happened for so long like it, it would seem if you're zoomed right in that things keep moving like within a house like objects keep moving and on that small scale they might think maybe the house is haunted or something but if you zoom out everything within a city is moving in the same direction like everything is moving northeast sometimes but nobody really realizes it because three streets away you're not discussing how your mugs were moving around or something and this would like touch to like the telekinetic kind of regional effect that maybe things are being pulled in certain directions i would maybe have uh children in an area or a lot more in tune uh with this creature and maybe understand what's happening a little bit more as kids do weird things my mom used to tell me when i was two or three i would speak to a man named dennis uh that freaked her out and Den all i would ever say is dennis is wearing a hat uh but that kind of that kind of thing um and then strange noises but not on a local level on a regional level like the mountains appear to be groaning and then they might shift a little bit and there's no explanation for it but it is a clue of a, of a huge presence uh somewhere so i would do things like that i i want to I, I i had two thoughts for clues as you were talking there you, you sparked mm -hmm. me um we sparked my imagination first and foremost is like i love the idea of like everything in the house is moving and shifting a little bit like oh is a poltergeist what's going on stuff's always falling off of ledges when you get to the to the local village that's right beside the mountain they're living in or whatever you'll see that every table has like a lip a ledge on it to keep shit from falling off and over the span of the evening everything is just pushed to the northeast corner of the table right yeah. like like every 
shelf has a fucking glass uh, door on it so you can see what's on it. Otherwise, the shit falls off the shelves. And it's just how people have come to, like, in our culture, we do this. We don't really question it. But I love the idea even further of um, the entire, like, I remember that mountain. When I was a boy, that mountain was closer. Like, the whole village, the landscape itself is shifting, getting pushed further away right um mm-hmm. just because they keep pulling up more more dirt more ground and creating more earth between the edge of the village and and their own layer and they just do yeah. it like mm-hmm. absentmindedly you know how like when you're reading a document you're playing with a pen you don't realize you've been playing with it for the last like 20 minutes yeah. <laughs> Peps holds her pen up right now yeah, yeah I'm literally <laughs> doing that right now <laughs> like, I, I i would expect that with telekinesis their shit absentmindedly just moving about all the time um, but the other thing I was thinking of, these guys are, they're killing their echoes, right? You know how every dragon has minions and they're like, oh, we've got 10,000 kobolds. No, they've got 10,000 of the same guy named Steve, who was their best friend. And they just keep rescuing Steves from other dimensions. You're like, okay, I'm going to go talk to Steve. He's going to get me in to talk to that gem dragon. We'll kill that gem dragon and I will collect another Steve. Right. right, and and they just have like ten thousand fucking Steves working for them. Yeah, and it's, Steve, and it's, it's Dennis just, in a hat. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, it still freaks me out. I, I I think that yeah, you walk into a village, it's the village of Steves, right? And so like every man there over the age of like eighteen is the same dude at a different point in his life. Yeah, right. Or th- that guy doesn't have an arm, and this one has you know green hair that floats but they're all the same guy right yeah. I, think it's, I think it'd be really really interesting yeah there's a, there's a lot of cool stuff you could do if it's something that um you know was expected this type of behavior that that town got used to i like the idea that they would maybe start to use it in some way like if, if it's the objects are always moving northeast like we say and it always takes the same amount of time every single day well we can use that to tell time now you know there's a yeah. ball that rolls down the high street where's the ball it's outside of the bookstore okay it's about lunchtime time then so that's not by the time it gets to the smiths we know that that's it everybody knocks off as soon as the ball gets past the blacksmith everybody stops working for the day oh it'd, it'd be even more than that too like you're right but it would also be like every time that there's an extra 10 kilometers between the the edge of the like the the city hall and the tip of the mountain right every time there's an extra 10 it's time for another mayoral election right like it would be large <laughs> like bigger um grander ideas for time as well yeah like when is the next harvest festival like well okay let's let's look and see have how much further from the river have we got god farming would be a nightmare (laughs) (laughs) okay i'll keep us moving here uh combat adam um you said that if they decide to use this thing this um regeneration the extra 400 hit points i'm a bullshit fuck off it's not if it is when you do not get to level like cr26 and whip out the fucking great worm okay i'm sorry i'm gonna rewind please do not whip out your great worm without clearing it with someone first don't just yeah but it's important yes um (laughs) but if you uh if you are going to showcase this creature you're not going to then skip the thing it does the big epic move right i love this whole like final form shit that we're getting now and a lot of the late fifth ed stuff we got some of it in uh van ricken's guide to ravenloft and a lot of it in fizzbands as well and so like it's cool to see this shit um and your players that have been playing for years will not be expecting it and it's so much fun to like oh we've killed it i'm gonna go over there and harvest its heart i climb up on top of it sink my sword into its chest and it stands up right like that's mm-hmm. 
that's so scary and it's so epic. It's such a great idea to showcase. Mm-hmm. I love it. Perhaps. All right. So for the mass uh, telekinesis, you guys at, at the end when they can pull any creature up to 60 feet, you guys both said up, but they can burrow. So they have these massive holes all around. Yes. What about down? Exactly. They just bring it and hover you over this massive hole. Uh, to, Let go. Uh, yes, absolutely. But also in the in the idea of down, how heavy is a galleon? Oh, I, you can find out real quick. It'll be on the DMV Beyond probably. Like I'm sure it's heavier than four thousand pounds. But like anything like rowboat size or longboat size, they will just move you sixty feet under fucking water, sink mm-hmm. the whole ship in one go. Right. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I that's that's so much fun. The, I, all I'm thinking about is colossal squids now. So um, <laughs> that, that's where you put me on this, Peps. I love the idea of hovering <laughs> them over the hole too. Because then you drop them, even if they survive, they have to get out of the hole. <laughs> like that's a whole other situation. Do you think that at the end of the movement, like if, if we move them sixty feet up or we hover them over a hole at you know once per turn or whatever, do they hover? Or do they drop at the end of the turn? Like, does a dragon have to, like, consciously drop them or let them go? Or will will they just keep that, like, perpetual level of telekinesis going? Yeah. I think at this level, they could hold on to it. I mean. I, I think so, too. If they can keep <laughs> yeah. themselves from going prone, I think that they're just going to hold on to it. Yeah. They can so, hover themselves forever. I think they could hover a, you know, human-sized person for as long as they want. I love that. I I, I would hold a whole city hostage like that in a yeah. combat as well. Like, I'm going to hover everybody over the hole, right? They can't move. They can't fly away. I'm going to keep them all there. If you kill me, the village drops. And then I'm going to rise with 400 more hit points. So fuck you. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea of dragging this combat, zooming in and out. And maybe dragging it out over a couple of days or something, if they're going to hold them in place, you know, you're using the mass telekinesis, you have your psychic beam, you have your breath weapon in there as well, or your bonus action time stopping or whatever's going on. And this great worm is in no particular rush, you know, maybe they just you just become part of the city that it's holding. And so you just hold in place and I would just zoom the party right out and I'm just going to say that you're stuck. But the great worm is leaving. Um, and maybe you essentially you're stuck there for hours. So you're now resting you're no longer in combat i'm going to hold the initiative for when we restart uh maybe even let them get some spell slots back do whatever they want to do in place and then re-engage the great worm again um essentially hours later uh because i feel like this this combat will be dragged out over a lot of time maybe even changing multiple locations um you know if they're teleporting and there's burrowing speeds and you know that there's uh different places that it might frequent um, so yeah, dragging out over time and changing locations would technically all be the same combat. Uh, but I think we can zoom right out on this one. Beautiful. So, sorry. So I looked it up. Um, boats are fucking heavy. Yes. Um, <laughs> and like you would probably have very small, like six person sailboats. Um, we don't we don't have engines and motors and and fiberglass to take into consideration D and D, right? But we mm. do have sails and you know treated wood and whatnot. So small, like six-person sailboats or like ten-person like boats that you use uh, oars on, like long boats or dragon boats, that kind of stuff. You could just sink immediately. Anything else? Do you think? Okay, telekinesis on objects clearly not structures. Could I could I snap a mast off of a ship, or would I not be able to do that because it's technically a structure? I mean, yeah, you can. Yeah, I would allow it. There's the the argument's strong enough that I mean. 
CR twenty six. Like separately like, affixed yeah. to a ship. Like I mean, you. I think you can pull parts of a ship off. Yeah, you know, I think the mast is connected to the mm-hmm. ship in the same way that the ballista is bolted to it. Yeah, okay. I mean, you could, if you wanted, you could just fling something at it too. Too. Yeah, they're just gonna throw it. the cannon like, at the mast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it right. wouldn't be hard to if you if you made the argument of it being a structured. Well, you can't just snap it. Well, I'm gonna throw this at it then. Then Fair take enough. it up. There's a there's <laughs> you know? so many opportunities with this. Yeah, monster. So <laughs> what are we moving on to? Okay, DM two. Who's that? Pepper That's in? me. Yeah. Jim Stalker. Jim Stalker. Okay. Jim Stalkers have the body of a wingless dragon with four legs and a long tail. However, they have the torso and head of a more humanoid creature. So sort of centerish, but more dragony and kind of nightmarish at the same time. They have no mouth, no hair, milky white eyes, and bright gems all over their body. In the book, it shows them as purple, but I think I would change them into whatever color gym dragon they're associated with, as they only exist by being created from a gym dragon. When a gym dragon kills an aberrant creature from the far realm, it will sometimes reshape that corpse into a gym stalker. Being imbued with the power of the dragon's breath to give it life, the gym stalker becomes a loyal ally to that dragon guarding its lair and going into the Underdark to hunt more aberrations. The gems that cover their body give them powers to communicate telepathically and to fling crystal darts based on the color of the dragon it's connected to. So looking at their stats, they are a large monstrosity and typically neutral with a CR of 5. They get a natural armor of 17 with an average hit point of 67 and have 40 feet of movement in both walking and climbing. Strength is their highest stat with a plus three, followed by dex, intelligence, and con, which all have a plus two. Their wisdom is average, and their charisma has a negative two modifier, which is probably being pretty generous considering they have no mouth. Um, For saving throws, they get dexterity and intelligence with plus five to both. Skills are stealth at a plus five, which with bright crystals all over their body, I would think they would be a little bit less stealthy and easier to see. Um, But they also have a perception with a plus three. They're resistant to psychic damage and have dark vision of 120 feet. They only understand Draconic, but can't speak unless telepathically up to 60 feet. They get spider climb as a trait, allowing them to climb up difficult surfaces, even upside down, without making an ability check. They also have unusual nature, not needing food or drink to survive. Gym stalkers get a multi-attack, being able to make four claw attacks. They get a plus six to hit with a five-foot reach, can only target one creature, and on a success do 2d6 plus three slashing damage. They have a bonus action and can use their crystal dart, which is a ranged attack with a plus five to hit and a range of 30 feet. On a hit, they do 1d10 plus 2 force damage. I would change that to the damage type of the gym dragon that created it. Um, that, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Force yeah. just seems generic. Yeah, which like I said, they are purple in the book, so that tracks with the amethyst. Yeah. But yeah, I would change it to flavor whatever dragon you have creating it. Um, they also get the following trait based on the dragon that created them when they throw this crystal dart. 
So Amethyst, the gym stalker, can teleport to an unoccupied space it can see within 30 feet. Crystal, it gains temporary HP equal to the damage dealt. Emerald, the target must roll a D4 and subtract the number rolled from the next attack roll it makes before the start of the gym stalker's next turn. Sapphire, the target must succeed on a strength save or be pushed horizontally up to 10 feet away from the gym stalker and be knocked prone. Topaz, the target must succeed on a con save or be poisoned until the start of the gym stalker's next turn. And finally, we get a reaction called protective link. When another creature the gym stalker can see within 30 feet is about to take damage, the gym stalker reduces that damage by 3d6 and the gym stalker takes damage equal to that amount. That's wild. Mm -hmm. That's a lot going on. Yeah. Okay. Are we ready for questions? Yes. We yes. re-roll initiative. All right. Okay. Not a one, Perry? I just rolled a one for the third time. <laughs> I rolled a one for the third time in a row. Get a different dice. <laughs> That's a I, that's a one in eight thousand chance, Terry. That's a, I think it's probably the first time I've ever done it. That I, well, at least that I can remember. This orange D twenty I've never used before, and the first three rolls were ones. Did somebody give it to you? Because it's probably loaded. And then he rolled a twenty. Three ones and a twenty. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to keep hold of this guy. Yeah, you get two more twenties in a row now. Yes, I'll say that. Okay, <laughs> that, that's uh, how dice work. Yeah, yeah. I got well, a twelve. You got twelve, Adam. I got I got a thirteen. Okay, so you're going first with a quest. We're keeping the same order. Um, a quest for these guys. Okay, so um, first of all, my big thing with these guys is that the, uh, what's their alignment? Are they neutral? Yes. Okay, because they're like they're gem dragons, right? So, mm -hmm. um, I'm going to have a gem dragon, uh, uh, maybe two or three gem dragons working together to purge the underdark of aberrations, and they are creating a small army of these guys. There's no reason why they wouldn't have dozens of them. There's no rules listed as to how they're made, mm -hmm. but uh, I'm going to say that it's a ritual that takes a day. But like these are, I'm probably not going to do it for the little aberrations, but I'll do it for some of the big ones, like beholders and mind flayers. When they're slain, they get turned into these um, crazy looking. God, they're they're like gem covered, scaly centaur devils almost like there's there's a lot of shit going on here i think the art for this is really cool but um but sorry anyway total sidebar anyway the, i have a couple um, minis of them they're very cool <laughs> oh you have minis of them i was looking yeah. at the mini going oh i would like one of those <laughs> um uh my so my my thing here is that uh there are three or four different kinds of them that are all sent out to hunt down the biggest most powerful aberration that's been detected which happens to be the party's aberrant mind sorcerer. There are a couple of aberration adjacent kind of, of uh, player character options out there. And so I love the idea of these guys because they don't speak. These guys just slowly and systematically hunting down one party member over and over and over and over. What's the CR on these guys? Five. Five. Yeah, that's great. I'll send one at, uh, at, these are random encounters too. Like I'm not really going to focus on this. I'll send one at level six and one at level eight and two at level nine. And I'll like, I'll gear this up until you like turn the corner and there's 15 of them. Right. And the party's level 16, 17. And like, it's a nasty fight here. The, this is going to be a big showcase. Um, and uh, the aberrant mind sorcerer is just getting more and more powerful. 
So it's going to keep attracting more and more of them. So these are going to be, my, my quest here is going to be, you got to fight them and you got to fight lots of them. And there's going to be a variety of them. We're going to team up different colors together so that you're always having different, like, I like the weird rules around each one of them being different. So I want to have different combinations of that on the battlefield. That's where, I, that's where I'm coming from on this. Yeah, I do. I really like the idea of um, combining the different colors and stuff of them. I think that would be a lot of fun to to play around with um i don't think all quests have to be fighting the thing uh especially with their reaction of protecting something and them mm -hmm. being from gym dragons uh which are neutral i think a gym dragon could send you on a quest with like to find aberrations and send these with you yeah um if you happen to have a Jim Dragonborn in the party, great. You have someone who can communicate with it. Otherwise, you have no clue. Like, it's just this thing that is with you and scary as fuck, and you can't communicate with it. And you're just like, what is it thinking? What's it doing? Like, mm -hmm. you just have to follow it when it goes and assume that it knows what it's after uh, because the Jim Dragon sent it with you. I also love the fact that they do need to sleep. Like, they don't need food mm -hmm. or water, but they do need to sleep. Can you picture one of these guys curled up beside the fucking fire, right? <laughs> Taking up half of the bonfire, right? Just because mm -hmm. they're fucking massive and just, like, like snoring. Yeah, I love it. I think for a quest for me, I'm going to... I probably put these uh, earlier, uh, but I do like the idea of a, a big fight later on, particularly because as a reaction, they have that uh, protective link, which reduces damage. And so they can do that for each other. Uh, mm -hmm. That would be incredibly frustrating, especially if they're uh, teleporting around and stuff uh, based on the, the type of gem stalker that they are. Uh, but I would probably have some sort of question on the fact that it becomes obvious that you maybe should not kill these, but should try and follow it back to whatever its leader is. You know, you're just using it as the breadcrumbs and it'll be difficult sometimes because there may be fights or situations that the party wants to become more involved with. Or maybe they're kind of on the wrong side of good sometimes because this is neutral. And I view this type of neutral in the same way that like a Terminator is neutral. It's just programmed to do something. It doesn't have yeah. to be on it. It would be the same for this. So there's going to be times when you don't necessarily agree with what's happening. But the greater good is that you need to follow this thing back to its leader. So that would be a, a morality challenge for the team. Do you think these guys would be bodyguards for wormlings? I think so. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Like I'm trying a to figure out like, <laughs> like they're hunting aberrations, but they've got a protection factor to them. Mm -hmm. Why? Right. And so I think that that protecting the gem dragons makes a lot of sense, but protecting like their offspring or protecting yeah. eggs. You might find two or three of these surrounding a clutch of gem dragon eggs, right? Yeah. The going into the Underdark and hunting aberrations is, like, one possibility. It says okay. it could be guarding their lair or being sent to hunt more aberrations. So you could definitely run into them at a gym dragon's lair, just protecting whatever they're. What about role-playing? Um, you're not going to get much more than body language out of these guys. What's their intelligence? 15. Yeah. Holy shit, they're real smart then. Yeah. Um, they're going to be able to communicate and they're going to be able to watch and understand what others are doing. Even if they don't speak the language, they're going to understand what's happening. I mean, it's typically insight is, I think, wisdom and charisma is about, you know, people, but they're smart enough to be able to understand the tactics that are being used to see, to recognize patterns, to know who the leader of the party is or who's going to be the liability that kind of shit. So you've got a pretty decent strategy and tactician here. 
who just cannot communicate with you. So I feel like I feel like they'd be able to go out and especially in the underdark, they'd be able to like disappear into the darkness and then come back with food that they've captured and caught and like portion it out equally and give it to everybody separately to, you know, they're going to be a useful party member. They're not just a big fucking dragon. It's not, there's not a Drake that's walking with you. Right. This is clearly a hyper intelligent creature, right? This is at least, 50% smarter than the average person right so we're talking Mm -hmm. what college professor level right like that's that's pretty intense for for these guys that just like stalk through the underground or guard right yeah there's a lot going on here that I like these guys as allies now that you guys are talking about it. Yeah. Um, for me with role playing, I would go into just describing how they move. You know, they have four legs and two arms. And they have um was spider climb where they can crawl up the walls and uh, over the ceiling. And it, you come into these, you're either in a dragon lair or you're in the underdark, most likely. So they are climbing up that wall. They are hanging above you and sort of hanging down they have those glowing like milky eyes and they're just gonna move their head in a very curious way with like no mouth like there's no mouth at all it's just sealed off um and they're made out of gems too so it would be that like clanking of the crystals hitting each other as it moves and like you described the cracking of that with the great worm like you would have some of that noise and so i would go into like deep um description on its movements and as it cocks its head when it's listening to you even though it can't talk trying to understand sort of like your dog does you know but in a creepier way it does feel very alien doesn't it Mm -hmm. it's got sort of like pointy ears and no mouth and just like just pure white eyes so it's almost a cthulhu-esque monster Yeah. So I would describe it in like great detail, like I would with a Cthulhu monster. I think I am going to combine the fact that it has a high intelligence, but a low charisma, and the fact that it's neutral uh, and you can't necessarily, well, you can't speak to it, um, is being that it will be very uncomfortable to have in your presence. It's not going to have the same kind of social norms as you. So if it's intelligent enough to recognize that you are a threat, doesn't have any particular allegiance, like um, loyalty to you. But it also has a low enough charisma that it may not even recognize or even care about your type of social norms. It may be uncomfortably close to you sometimes, like looking at you very closely in the face as you're trying to figure out what plan you're going to do next. It's thinking about something else and may just be smelling you and kind of moving around close. Or you wake up and it's just right there. Um, you know, it just it, I would try and just explain how uncomfortable it is to be around a creature like this. Um, where there's a lot of things that we do in, in cu- communication between humans all the time, which are just social norms that it just wouldn't know or even care about, but would be very intimidating and still very intelligent. So just uncomfortable, un- an uncomfortable presence. I, I feel like like they're based on aberrations too. So there's the, an even further step removed. You're absolutely right. Like I don't even think that it's going to make eye contact with you while you're speaking to it. It's listening. It's just not going to face you while you're talking. It's right. going to be weird little off-putting shit like that, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's just, I don't know. It, it it's These guys are a lot of fun to play with. I like how crazy alien they are. Yeah. Uh, okay, um, what do we have next? Exploration clues. Uh, you are going to find a whole bunch of uh, colored shards and a whole bunch of dead aberrations uh, if, if these guys are around, right? So I like the idea of the party gearing up to have to 
go attack the mind flayer, the crashed mind flayer ship, right? And uh, and they get in there, and all these mind flayers are just fucking dead all over the place with shards sticking out of them. Um, and as you're sitting there walking through, and like there's not a single living one, and you come to like I don't know the control room or the engine room or something. And this thing is just using those claws to just tear apart um, somebody. And there's a loud thump from outside. The gem dragon has shown up to now turn these corpses into more, right? Like, so these guys are actually, for exploration, they're going to leave carnage in their wake, but that wake isn't going to last long because they are the clue that the gem dragon is coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they do have a high stealth. Um so you could also go in that direction of not no like there're going to be very few clues especially if it's in a guard aspect of it if they are guarding that layer they are not going to let you see them until they are right there so you might see you know gem shards and maybe a dart stuck in the wall or two i think that would probably be your biggest clue because if you see gem shards and you're in a gem dragon layer you're going to assume it's from the gem dragon if well, you the, see a dart in the wall, that would probably be your biggest clue that there's something different there. The thing that's interesting about stealth is that we've got to think about it from two different perspectives. And this creature straddles that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, two perspe- the two perspectives are um, offense and defense, right? The offensive stealth is for ambushers and sneaking up and prowling. And the defensive is for hiding and camouflaging and staying very still and blending into the shadows. Um, These guys are not inherently stealthy based on their lore, right? Mm -hmm. And yet they're very much hunters and also protectors. So I don't know if they're going to like clean up their messes necessarily so much Mm -hmm. um, because they don't want anybody to like track them down. Their, their defenses is more about from my, from my point of view, when it comes to their stealth, um, I see them as, Hiding in the shadows of the room of the eggs, even in protector mode, they're hunters still. They're still mm-hmm. offensive, even though they're kind of on the defensive on that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not there to negotiate with you to say, hey, don't come in here. When you enter that room, if you don't have permission, it's hostile. Yeah. Right? And so I do think these guys are ambushers and fighters, and they're not... I, I, I think that I love the idea of their them clinking together, but I think they could also probably stop that when they don't want it to happen and mm-hmm. go very, very slowly. Um, and you know they're crawling across ceilings. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the Yeah, they're dropping it, down in front of you. Look for the claw marks in the ceiling and up yeah. the wall, right? Because that's such an advantage for I for do them. like you said they like blending into your surroundings. They do very much look like they could be part of a cave wall and just those like glowing gems on them. If you're in a gem dragon's lair, oh yeah, that just yeah. looks like part of the lair. So yeah. they could very much just be there, and you like unless you have a crazy high perception, so, you're and, gonna pass over them. And those those milky white eyes just suddenly open in the mm-hmm. wall, and then uh, this thing just emerges. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea that uh, because they're neutral, if you're following the path, like you say, you you know, you come across a bunch of dead mind flares or something, that it's not totally obvious where this creature that you won't know what it is that's done this, where they stand. Like, why did they kill all the mind flares, but then did not free all of the gnome prisoners? They just left. Like, because that was not on their agenda. They didn't even acknowledge it. They don't care that they're there. 
or yeah. you know it's uh yeah so, so so it might be like whose side is this on because it killed the evil thing but did not free the good aligned thing and so i would have lots of um it clues that something is around but it won't be totally obvious what it is because you're trying to kind of uh you have like alignment challenges and things that don't really make sense is this a good guy or is this just another bad guy is it enemy of my enemy type situation um so probably some like alignment challenges i think is part of the clues yeah i i i really like these these have grown on me i thought this was going to be the weakest part of the episode and they're mm-hmm. really fucking not they're yeah as i'm reading this i'm like to my husband i'm like we need to include these in a, <laughs> in a game <laughs> okay uh combat adam i mean the claws i'm all about the darts the darts are cool your uh, my big thing coming into the episode is going to be yeah change the darts to do different kinds of damage you're i like i agree with you 100 um but their claws are so, by the artwork, they're so deadly. They have spider climb, not because they're magical, not because they're sticky, not because they're suited to the environment. No, man, they dig their claws in and up they go up the wall, right? Like, yeah, they're very, very cool for the fact that um, we see a lot of claws in D&D art. These ones look particularly menacing in a way that, like, they don't slash you, they don't cut you, they eviscerate you. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really going to focus, at least in my descriptions as a DM, they, they have multi-attack, right, Pep? Four, yeah. They get four attacks, four claw attacks. I'm going to I'm going to roll them all at once because I want it to be like, bam, 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 right? Like I, and the players need to be aware of how scary it is. Like, I like with the Merilith getting seven attacks at a time i describe that as the whirlwind attacks that it would be and whenever i see more than like three of the same attack i tend to go whirlwind with it to make it more flavorful and scary so that's what i'm going to focus on my description mm-hmm. of the multi-attack i mean even with the four claw attacks they could potentially stand on their back legs they have their two arms and then their two front legs that's how i assume they would be they yeah would be rearing up and then balancing with the tail yeah and then... so they could just all four of them at the same time just rip you well like fucking goro style from uh-huh. yeah. yeah 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 i love that With the different arms, I think, and the spider climb, I would have them grab somebody, climb up the wall, especially if they're, I think it was a sapphire. Let me look. Yeah, the sapphire. So they can, if they hit a dart at you, they can also push you. So if they climb up a wall, if you're in a big cavern, they climb up a wall holding you, drop you, shoot a dart, push you against another wall so you're not even falling straight down now you're being pushed horizontally and you just have like different directions and things going at you and you have like there's nothing you can do to get out of that situation and i think even feather fall might not work because you're then being shoved that way instead of just down mm-hmm. yeah i love the fact too like that that works because letting go mm-hmm. is free like that yeah. doesn't take up any of the action economy so and the dart is a bonus action Perfect. So they could even climb up there with you, drop like use their claws as they drop you, then bonus action that dart off and push you somewhere else. Like it could be a massive attack. I love this. I like the idea of using different ones, but I think for each encounter, I would actually probably use the same kind in each encounter. Maybe if there's two or three jam dragons working together, I would maybe have two or three different combat encounters over, say, the first tier with this type of creature, but I would likely have the same kind of gem stalkers. Uh, because I want the feel of that combat, the challenge of it to be around one particular thing. So if it's the amethyst one, it's that they all of them keep bloody teleporting every single round when they're using these darts. 
And then it's exhausting for that reason. Then when you get to the next one, you're like, it's these jokers again, but now they're emerald or now they're sapphire. And there's a, and we don't know what the thing is that they're going to do this time, but there's going to be some kafukas uh, to deal with. Uh, so yeah, I would probably, I like the idea of using different ones, but for the encounter, I would use the same kind. I just had an idea with the amethyst. They could grab you, crawl up the wall, drop you, teleport to where you land and then do the attack. Yeah, that's, that's so cool too. That's what I'm talking about. I love it. Okay, I think that's it. We're moving on to our final one. So before I get into this, let me be clear. We have now summarized up until this point all of the official Wizards of the Coast fifth ed gem dragon creatures. We've done all five of the gem dragons, now the great worm and the gem stalkers. There we go. That's it. That's awesome. However, gem dragons are, uh, they actually have quite a history. There's um, a lot of legacy with gem dragons uh, in Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, it was a very, very, very long time in fifth edition before we finally got to see them. Like, fifth ed has been around for, Jesus, 10 years, right? And it took us eight eight and a half of them to get to gem dragons, which was a little wild. So there were a lot of people that were creating a lot of stat blocks online, trying to come up with, well, what would this be? What would that be based on what gem dragons were in the past? And there have been many, many, many different kinds of gem dragons. We got five because that tends to be how fifth ed works, but the same way that there were like brown and yellow and aluminum and cobalt dragons in the past. Um, we had other kinds of, of gem dragons as well. Um, things like uh, like Pearl existed, and uh, I think Ruby dragons did exist uh, before. So one of the most popular third-party creators out there, of course, is Matt Coville, and um, he has a publication company called MCDM, and MCDM has released, at this point of this recording, um, two books, two hardcover books, one of them is Strongholds and Followers. The other one is Kingdoms of Warfare. Strongholds and Followers came out at about the midpoint in 5th edition's lifespan. And it included gemstone dragons to kind of fill in this, this hole, this void where we were expecting to have gem dragons up until this point. So I want to be very, very clear. His ones are specifically called gemstone dragons and not gem dragons. Um, they're very different in a lot of ways, but they will seem similar um, at face value, because we're calling them gemstone dragons, and they follow the same kind of general um, rules of the fact that there's five of them, and we have most of them are duplicates. We have topaz, amethyst, emerald, sapphire again, uh, but now we get ruby instead of uh, crystal. I'll get into that a little bit more in a bit, because there's a lot of similarities between them. The lore about them is a bit more intense, but it is very much the same kind of idea that they're focused with the big picture, the multiverse. But we didn't have the multiverse as an actual factor in 5th edition yet, because Fizzbands didn't come out. So Matt Coville, when he was writing this, he and his team changed it so that it was still in the same kind of vein as the um, gem dragons have been in the past, but with their own unique twist. So, here's the lore. These are older than metallic or chromatic dragons by a damn sight, to the point where they consider themselves to be enlightened, and metallic and chromatic dragons are very clearly barbaric by their standards. Even gold and red ancient dragons are barbaric and lesser, stupider, um, more emotional. So they all have strong mental powers as well um, that they covet to the point where um, some of them rely so much on moving 
uh, telekinetically that they've let their wings atrophy and wither over the eons. So these are dragons without wings. They have, for the most part, the appendage is still out there, but there's no membrane, so they can't use them to fly. Besides having these strange wing appendages, one of the main identifying physical features is the fact that they have gems growing out of them, bursting up through their skin. These gems are huge, beautiful, and the source of their psionic powers. So there are absolutely poachers and assassins that are actively hunting these dragons down to harvest their gems. Generally speaking, these dragons are hiding away from civilization, usually hibernating in the most remote parts of the world. Not because they're scared of these poachers, but because they're waiting for a reason to wake up. That means that there aren't really any preferred terrains for them, like the metallics and chromatics have. They just tend to go to the remote areas to slumber. From their perspective, the kind of territorialism is part of this barbaric um, nature to the other kinds of dragons. So what does motivate them? Well, they hoard knowledge about the universe, the multiverse, and whenever a disaster, a major war, a cataclysm, or, or a catastrophe is about to pop off, they wake up and they observe it and they gain knowledge from the ripples of these huge events. They almost never get involved. And this is where their neutral alignment comes into play because they're focused on the big picture of making sure that the world continues existing and the greatest knowledge on uh, the verge of being forgotten knowledge is still preserved and maintained. The emphasis is always on neutrality, even if they're neutral good or neutral evil. I mean, it's neutral good, neutral evil. So it's neutral first. They will get involved if reality itself is in danger. But they don't give a shit if your civilization gets wiped out. Genocides don't matter to them. If a volcano blows up and wipes out a civilization, they don't care. They've seen this before, right? For the most part, you can expect them to rely on their crystalline skin for preservation and not for natural beefiness. So that means that they've got higher AC and fewer hit points than their counterparts that are metallic or chromatic. Some things to keep in mind, because I'm trying to summarize a lot of information here. I'm going to like really kind of talk about their similarities first. The things to keep in mind are the fact that they all have this ability to fly pretty damn quickly, on average twice as fast as a human, even even the dragons that are wormlings can move twice as fast as humans, uh, and the speed just goes up and up and up as they age. What's crazy is that the flight is based on their telekinetic hovering, because most of them don't have functioning wings, right? So they are whipping about without using their limbs at all. So they all have these weird atrophy like limbs in the back and some of them move very strangely because their their legs don't even get a whole lot of, of usage. All the wormlings speak draconic and common. As soon as they become a young dragon, they get telepathy out to 120 feet as well. They get bite and claw attacks. They gain multi-attack as a young dragon and a tail attack as an adult and they never, ever, ever get a breath attack. That gets replaced with something else that I'll talk about in a minute. All of the gemstone dragons at all levels have 120 feet of dark vision and 60 feet of blind sight. They all have increases to saves and skills that scale up as you would expect, and their psionic gemstones that grow out of them always make them vulnerable to psychic damage, which means if you attack them with a psychic attack, they take double damage. When a gemstone dragon becomes an adult, it becomes resistant to bludgeoning, slashing, and piercing from non-magical attacks and straight up immune to fire and lightning damage. Just out of the blue. I have a lot to cover, so I'm not going to get into all of the details here, but adults and ancients also have legendary resistances and legendary actions. Ancients get lair actions and regional effects as well. Um, there's nothing that really blows me away in any of it, except that the regional effects are all about 
affecting the dreams of creatures within 12 miles. I'm also not going to be able to do a deep dive into the way that psionics work. It's pretty deep and there are a lot of different psionic spells. Uh, But if people are inspired or curious about these gemstone dragons, I highly recommend buying Strongholds and Followers. The bestiaries alone are worth the investment. Um, So that being said, let me give you a bit of context for the psionics so you know what we're talking about here. They're their own unique rule set that is similar to spellcasting, but works differently. The gemstones that grow out of the dragon's bodies capture, conduct, amplify, and store psionic energies. And that lets the dragons cast what's called manifestations. These manifestations are essentially just spells. How this works is that the dragons have a certain number of psionic charges. The older they are, the more charges they have. Each manifestation reads a lot like a unique and powerful spell, but the difference is that instead of components, like verbal, somatic, and your material components, it uses up to a certain number of psionic charges. There's always a base number of charges that a manifestation costs, as well as an additional optional cost if you want to enhance the manifestation and upcast it to be more powerful or impactful. So they come built in almost with their own meta magic. At the end of each turn, the dragon then rolls a manifestation die, which is a d4 for wormlings, d6 for young, and so on, they scale up, um, and they regain charges based on what they roll. So if it costs you six charges to cast this manifestation, you roll a d8 because you're an adult dragon, you could regain six charges. And, And now here's the fucky thing about it, though. To make it even more complicated is each dragon at each age has what's called a fracture number. Each time the dragon takes more damage than their fracture number, it means that some of their gemstones fractured when they got hit, and so they can't recharge um, their psionics as effectively. For example, I'm running an ancient dragon who usually rolls a d10 to regain charges every turn, and it has a fractured number of 27. Terry's paladin does 27 or more damage, so that dragon at the end of its turn now will roll 1d10 minus 1 the next time it tries to recharge. If Pepperina's bard does the same thing and it's uh, on the next turn, then it would take 1d10 minus 2 and on and on until the dragon either dies or can't recharge psionic charges. This seems like a lot of extra works for DM, but honestly, the manifestations are powerful enough, um, reality-bending magics, that it's worth it, in my opinion. I read through them all. They're wildly different. They're themed all based around the idea of reality-bending and understanding the world. So there are 12 of them. I'm grabbing a d12. I'm going to roll randomly to see which one. Uh, And I rolled a 10. So, one, two, three, four, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, reflection. It casting time is one action. You cast it on yourself. It lasts for a minute. It, the charges. It takes ten charges plus whatever the reflection rank is. The dragon reaches through time and plucks an ally from the timescape to come and fight alongside it. Choose a row from the servitor chart. There's a whole other chart about the, the, the creatures that um that serve these dragons um the cost of manifesting a reflection is 10 charges plus the type of summoned creature um so it can it can cost like 16 or 18 charges depending on on what creature you pluck from the timescape to come fight with you for the next 10 rounds that is just one of the 12 and that's pretty standard as far as the power level goes and they can do that over and over and over again as long as they can keep recharging their psionic powers. So the final thing that I want to say before I give a very brief breakdown of the different dragons themselves is that the breath weapons that other dragons have has been replaced with auras that kick in when the different dragons become young dragons. I'm going to discuss each aura as I go through the dragons, but I'm going to give the numerical values uh, for the adults and you can do the mental math to figure out. Young dragons have similar numbers that are smaller, Ancient dragons have similar numbers that are larger. 
So uh, let's start with the Emerald Dragons. These are chaotic neutral. They're obsessed with oceans and waters and how they reflect the theory of timescapes ebbing and flowing. They believe that the material plane is essentially an overlapping crossroads of the cosmos, which is why all alignments converge here. They are experts on the planes and tend to navigate the astral sea expertly. They are the only gemstone dragons with a preferred territory, and because they've used their wings to help them swim and navigate, their front legs are the ones that actually atrophied over thousands of generations to the point where the bones still exist, but they're small and underdeveloped and actually inside the dragon's chest cavity, so that they're the only ones with wings and the only ones without arms. So, Peps, you met, you were talking to me yesterday about how you didn't like the one that looked like a wyvern. <laughs> Because yeah. like that's not a real dragon. It is technically the bones are there. There's hiding the within are... the, the chest. Yeah, there. I was just briefly looking at the artwork and immediately I was like, well, that's a wyvern. <laughs> it looks like it. The emerald ones do look like it. Um now their aura is uh is unique because water dampens psionics. When that means that their mental powers are more intense um and actually like give off an interference when they're out of water. Spellcasting enemies within 30 feet of an adult emerald dragon have to succeed on a DC 18 intelligence save every round in order to concentrate on spells. So it's harder to concentrate. You don't even need to get damaged. You just have to get past that headache that's like thumping through your head. Ruby dragons. So these are the unique ones that we don't get in uh, from wizards. Um, ruby dragons are focused on the discussion surrounding the nature of reality. They're lawful neutral. They're relatively paranoid about illusion magics, and that's kind of their whole theme here, because only they truly understand that if forbidden illusion magics are harnessed, they could actually replace reality. They think that illusion magics are actually phantasms that are being summoned from other realities, and they are ready to intervene whenever an illusionist becomes too powerful, because those illusions could manifest and replace what actually exists on the material plane. As such, they're methodical, formal, measured, and orderly, and they don't care much for chaos, which explains their lawful neutral alignment. They've got an aura that's an amplification aura, and that gives allied spellcasters within 30 feet a plus three to saving throws. Um, these are the saving throws of their spells, so like their DC on their spells gets a plus three. Sapphire dragons are true neutral. They're the oldest dragons on record, and they guard knowledges about the very nature of time. They approve of dwarves because dwarves build and create, and they see time as a resource and a dimension to move forward through. They keep a close eye on elves who seem to try to exist beyond the ideas of time and aging, and they get outright agitated when mortals start dicking about with time travel. That being said, if your party can convince a sapphire dragon that there's a big enough danger, the sapphire dragon might be convinced to help the party bend the rules of time. Because they're so old and so knowledgeable, they present themselves as the wisest sages and the smartest professors. This is reflected in their aura, which is called an awe aura. And an adult sapphire dragon forces anyone within 30 feet of it to roll uh, a very high charisma save before they can even attack the dragon. If they fail, their turn ends immediately. If they succeed, they're immune to being awed by any gemstone dragon for the next week. Topaz dragons are neutral good. They're the youngest and most likely to interact with the world and obsess over the study of magic. There's a brief interaction between an older gemstone dragon and a topaz that's actually in the book. Um, and the older gemstone dragon says, when you're older, you'll realize magic is just ambient interference from overlapping manifolds constrained by oblique functions. And the topaz dragon responds, well, poo on that. Look, I made a fireball. And that that kind of sums up their uh, different perspectives there. So these guys are like absent-minded professors. 
They hoard scrolls and tomes and painstakingly categorize and reorder their hordes over and over and over again. They're actually really easy to talk to and don't mind talking with mortals, but they're really difficult to get answers from because of their vast collections. They have access to all knowledge, but don't necessarily have the knowledge itself, and they have enough material to argue any side of any point. They're also the only gem dragons or gemstone dragons with telepathy as, as a wormling. Um, and their aura gives allies within 30 feet a plus four on intelligence checks and saves. The last one is the Amethyst Dragon. These ones are neutral evil. And the general theme here is that these dragons care more about gaining new knowledge than the well-being of others. And they're absolutely willing to put you at ease with manners and feigned respect so that you drop your guard and offer them the information they want, or at least a plan on how to get that information. They will absolutely manipulate mortals into pushing the boundaries of reason and safety, and will be there to swoop in to capitalize on the new knowledge, no matter the cost of lives. They often masquerade as wizards and sorcerers so they can infiltrate universities and magical repositories, and they are willing to plot in sinister ways to get what they want. They see trust as the first step towards dependence, and dependence as the first step towards desperation. The other gemstone dragons know the amethyst dragons are, are like this, but they stay oddly quiet about it. After all, forbidden knowledge is forbidden knowledge, and they all want that, and they're neutral, so they don't approve of it, but they're not going to get in the way. Each time an adult amethyst dragon takes damage, everyone within 30 feet, everyone, must make a DC 18 intelligence save or take 3d6 psychic damage. So, those are the five kinds of gemstone dragons we have, and they're really neat um, alternatives. I like them quite a bit, but there's a lot going on with these guys. Um, and they don't feel a whole lot like dragons. Not the standard ones we've gotten in D&D. But uh, that is a quick summary. That that pretty much covers it. Like I say, there's more details like layer actions and stuff. Uh, I do recommend people buy the book. It's fucking amazing. And you can get PDFs relatively cheap online, too, um, from the MCDM website. Beauty. Okay. Uh, well, how should we do this? Should we roll initiative again? And then uh, I got a five this time. I got I a got four. A, I got a 16. Oh, I'm not going last. That's good. <laughs> we switched. <laughs> Everybody's in a different place. Yep. Yeah. All right. What are your impress? Is this the first time that you've heard about these gemstone dragons? You got the rundown? Yes. First, what are your first impressions? Um, My very first impression as I was looking through them was that they were weird. <laughs> <laughs> um that's i just like yesterday briefly looked at the artwork i did not do much reading other than um i did see that their wings went away and wings are my favorite part so i was very on the fence about that yeah. um as a painter like that's that's why i got into painting dragon minis as i like painting wings Wing. so um i personally have like i have to get my head around that <laughs> about them not having wings but i do like i like weird and these are all very weird so it like touches on on that part for me the just weirdness of them um i also like the uniqueness of dragons and that each of them have their own personality and ambitions and that so i think it also fits that for me that like need for that um so i like them i liked the i think the topaz one probably stuck out to me the most 
Um, but overall, I think I think you could use them in a lot of fun ways. I think they all have that like weird, unique trait that makes them dragons. Yeah, uh, I would agree. I like the I like the weirdness uh, to them. I think this is great for even more experienced DMs and players where we kind of feel like we've got it figured out with the metallics and the chromatics and how many different ways can you do it. Uh, but I feel like you could run an entire campaign with these guys and it'd be so interesting. Like you could essentially like reskin Tyranny of Dragons around these mm-hmm. dragons somehow, changing the big bad and whatever. And I think it would just be a completely new challenge for, for all of the players uh, because you have no idea what to expect or even what they want and they operate so differently. And um, it's, a, it's a good weirdness to embrace. I was worried that it would just be way off. I mean, Matt Colville is excellent, but I was worried that it was going to be just a bit too way off to I'm kind of a purist with D&D and I wouldn't get behind it, but I think I could and I would really like it. So yeah, they're great. The big takeaway for me on this is that I'm not wild that we don't have it line up like Ruby to Crystal Dragons. Like it, it, there's no, it's not quite the same, but I love the idea that these guys are so ancient and so old and so weird. They're still focused on the nature of the universe and whatnot. So I love these guys as being your beyond level 20 because the ancients are all CR 21-ish. Like they scale the same way that the other dragons do, right? Um, They all have the four ages and all that shit. They don't have a, a great worm side, but I love the idea of like maybe at the end of the campaign when you're beyond level 20, when you're going to go fight the great worms, these are the last ones out there, the alternative versions that are so different on the far reaches of the multiverse that the that the um, great worms have to kill to become the ultimate versions of themselves to raise Sardior, right? Because I bet these guys don't, they might even rem- remember Sardior, like they're so old, they're so weird, they're so primordial almost in their their scope and nature that i like them as alternative versions in the multiverse i'm totally gonna play with these guys but fuck is it a lot the the manifestations and the psionic rules and auras and recharging and how much damage did you do this round so how does that affect my recharge and there's a fuck of a lot going on running these not for inexperienced dungeon masters right a lot to think about Mm -hmm. when would you guys introduce these into a campaign like early tiers mid tier later tier i mean it, I like all of them. It depends on the age that you're introducing them. Um, if you are going with the these as the original gym dragons, sort of like you know, Adam had said these are the oldest of them. So I don't see unless you're doing like a way, way, way callback, and this is when these lands were first created, and that's why they're wormlings. I think you're going to see them as ancient because they are the oldest. Um, so definitely if you're playing it that way, I would do like top, you know, high tier. These are sort of end of campaign or the goal at the end of the campaign. You might hear about them. You might know about them. You might even see them, but I think interacting with them, if you're playing them as the oldest would be later on. Yeah. I think I may even introduce them early, you know, and just really throw the, the whole party off, like maybe like a wormling early and what does that mean so maybe the party of whatever somebody comes across like an amethyst dragon wormling and then they it kind of grows from that what does that mean it's like if if in our world we came across like an angel like a cherub angel or something we've like that initially is incredible and amazing then oh my god that means that if there's an angel that means that there is definitely you know a god that can uh 
interact with the world and manipulate all of us. And if he exists, then the other guy does as well. And like, it's it keeps growing bigger and bigger. What does this mean? What does this mean? And maybe even like have a, a quest or campaign around what do the leaders of the cities and the regions want to do now that they have discovered this wormling dragon? And they're, I can just imagine it in the middle of like the war table and they're all standing around like, well, what do we do? And the campaign starts to build itself from there. Some regions and cities may make military moves based on this new information now and alliances may change and you can build a whole campaign out of this first initial step of somebody found a wormling gemstone dragon. And what does that mean for everybody else? So I would introduce them early. These guys are built with their auras to affect the enemies nearby and interfere with them or boost up the allies nearby. What that means is that I want to have them as allies or at least NPCs that need to be escorted so that battlefield position matters for the players, right? Um, they can get the benefits of, of the, um, the boons from the auras. So I'm going to introduce a wormling early and then have like they've got to get to a a young one at a certain level and so the, the they're going to get these different auras interacting with the environment in different ways and like it's it should add a different level of strategy and additional kind of tactic to the uh to combat however you're sitting here telling me about this idea of oh yeah what if we got the like a topaz wormling shows up sitting there going what if the fifth edition wizards of the coast fizzbands topaz dragon like all of the gem dragons get together and they're looking at this fucking wormling going that's a topaz wormling and the topaz dragon is like no it fucking is not and you have both in the same campaign i sort of had a thought while you guys were talking um so the spell you had mentioned was them going into the timeline and pulling out an ally also they have um the psychic weakness and if their bodies are hit they crack and their gems get affected and that affects their spell ability. So if they mean to pull something else out and they pull out a warbling, possibly themselves out of the timeline or another gem dragon that they mean to pull the ally out, the full one, and they pull its warbling out. Oh my God. And that happens. And then the moment that they pull the younger version of themselves out, that would affect the multiverse in such an intense way. Every mm-hmm. fucking gem great worm immediately opens its eyes and goes, what? Yeah, and like that, something and... completely fucks up just because they were damaged in that moment. That spell pops off and, you know, it it messes up the whole timeline situation. They're like all of the stuff that they do is is interesting like that. It's all reality bending. Like one of them is just pick a target within 30 feet. Um, They've got to make a save. Uh, Otherwise, they end up getting... Uh, teleported somewhere within sight of the dragon, right? Uh, And it costs five feet per every two charges spent. Like, it's shit like that. So sometimes it's just teleport, but then you also get fucking wild ones. Like, um, there's one called Another World. It takes 20 charges. What if things had been different? Maybe in Another World, I am the wizard and you are the fighter. Target two enemies. Both must succeed on an intelligence saving throw or else swap character sheets until they take a short rest. Like, it fucks with things in intense ways and there's 12 of them right and like there's just it's really really cool some of them do damage some of them don't like some of them are weird teleportation but it's all fucking about what kind of time space and space time Mm -hmm. and all that shit like it's, it's fun okay final question on these guys what would be 
and even if you don't have any experience running these, but from your experience as a DM and working with new creatures and stat blocks and lore, what would be some immediate words of warning that you might give to some inexperienced DMs that would like to introduce these dragons? Read them, reread them, reread them. You know, know, you know, you got to know your stuff if you're introducing something that's completely different. Um, also, not being afraid to make it up if you forget a thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like there's a lot here and it's perfectly fine to forget something yeah. we all do uh just have something in your back pocket that if this isn't working if it's not balanced because it's a completely different situation be ready to change it it doesn't have to be exactly this you can you can change it to not completely kill your whole party if that is where you're going yeah, I think um, yeah, the idea of just uh, just reading them and getting to know the law when you introduce a completely different type of creature like this, a different type of dragon, you you may think that there would not be so much that would be different. I think it's because we've become so accustomed to, I think more so the chromatic dragons and then the metallic dragons afterwards. And I think that's because typically people, the chromatic ones are enemies more often. Um, but you're not going to realize necessarily what you don't know about these. And you're going to get those types of questions where the player's like, would I know anything about this? Would I know this? Would I know that? And just, you know, you might not have the answers on hand. So I think uh, controlling the scale to which you use them, start small early in the same way we always say, you know, start your adventure, just know the town, then know the county or whatever. Uh, I would not dive in there with this whole campaign ready to go around these uh, and thrusting them on the players and you might not have all of, all of the answers and might not even realize you don't have all of the answers right away. So start small and build it up from there. There's a lot to keep track of. A lot to keep track of. And one of the things that I'm going to uh, do in my research ahead of time, as a dungeon master, if I'm going to pull out one of these guys with the idea that I'm going to get into combat, what I'm going to do is write out a little chart ahead of time. Normally I have a dry erase mat in front of me where I'm just like tracking hit points and conditions, right? But on top of that as well, I have to track charges and fractures. Uh, so I'm going to make this chart ahead of time with all the different columns and then like round one this, round two this, so that I can go through and track all of this different shit. I'm also going to sit down and look at what are the manifestations that these specific dragons are most likely to use in which scenarios. When they get to half hit points, will they blow this one big manifestation? If they know that they can't recharge, will they try to get this big one like out while they still can? Um, there's not a whole lot of discussion about retreating, and while they're fast, they don't fly. They've got to retreat uh, on the ground, except for the Emerald Dragon, which means that they're vulnerable. Uh, more vulnerable than your other dragons at these levels. So I'm really going to be thinking about defense more than anything else. Um, and that's another reason why I like them being allies of the party and not someone to fight, because that means that the party has to be defense-minded as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my... my my recommendation, my DM tip for running a gemstone dragon is do your work ahead of time and play that battle out in your head as you're going, right, during your prep work. Because you are going to need to be ready to balance a whole lot of shit all at once with these guys. And if they die, what does that mean for your campaign? If you are bothered to put one of these guys into your campaign in the first place... Chances are you're hinging on them surviving to a certain point to hit certain plot points. 
and you can't just replace one ruby dragon with another because they're fucking rare and that's kind of the point of them right yeah that's a really good um tip you gave there play that battle out in your mind so what happens with with people and you know players or people is that when we're thrown for a loop you know or something unexpected happens we'll 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 automate towards our our habits our patterns and so your wizard you'll learn what their go-to spell is you know i think i'm probably quite predictable with my uh, player characters as well when when i get thrown well adam knows i'm going to touch the shiny thing or try, you know yeah. whatever <laughs> so but but the players do they have their own habits so you're when you throw them for a loop like this you're probably going to be able to expect what their what their habit is what their go-to spells will be or go-to abilities and so it's a good idea to plan that ahead of time i think yeah. and also as a dm i've got my habits too that i'm very aware of and so I know how to run a dragon. Doesn't matter. I know what I'm doing with the dragon. Doesn't matter which of the ten, the, the ten main dragons it is. I know how to do it. I don't know how to run these guys. Never done it before. Yeah. I'm eager to. I can figure it out. I've read these stat blocks. But to be honest, we have prepped uh, episodes based on these guys about three times. Um, and then Fizzbands came out, and I'm just like, I kept pushing it because it was complicated. And do we do an episode on psionics and like like over and over and over again. Then Fizzbands came out, and I'm like, oh, thank God we don't have to focus on this shit, because it's so much to, to cover. It might be two episodes worth. Um, but originally I was like, oh, we'll do a whole episode on Ruby Dragons like we did on Black Dragons, right? And like, holy shit, th there's so much here. I've read it over and over and over and over and over again, and I'm still a little overwhelmed on the scope, as well as how much needs to be managed in combat. There are just so many more levels to this and by the time that you're taking multiple fractures on a gem dragon your campaign plot line might be in danger mm -hmm. right and that's that's big yeah all right so before we wrap this episode up let's cut to our last ad break if you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community you can reach us on facebook and instagram or on our subreddit at r slash it's a mimic also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagement like that helps us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. So we've now covered all the gem dragons, the gem great worm, the gem stalker, and now the gem stone dragons. We're wrapping up this conversation on gem dragons, like overall, which one is your favorite? Oh, I should have expected that question. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Um, what is it? Let's roll initiative. Let's grab dice. I really dice. don't know. Okay. Um, 17. Eight. Uh, I got a seven. I'm always coming in one less than everybody else. It's just <laughs> okay. I was trying to buy you time there, Terry, and then you rolled highest. So, I don't know. I, th I remember We were expecting another one. <laughs> yeah, I Sapphire Dragons quite a lot, I remember. But I, I, I just can't think of one which is jumping out like it was my absolute favorite. Like, I know I love Black Dragons to death. I'm really into, like, Deep Dragons right now as well. But I, with the Jam Dragons, I don't have a favorite. Not that I don't like them. I just don't have one screaming out as a favorite. I think Sapphire quite liked. It, would you say that you feel neutral about them? feel neutral <laughs> about them. Yeah. <laughs> um... Let's see with these the the gemstone ones that you just described um topaz definitely stuck out to me um it seemed very like an adhd dragon um uh, which i enjoyed about them they're they're actually like while they will go out and and gain knowledge you got to keep in mind too 
They are mm -hmm. still just as ancient as the other gemstones. Yeah. Right? They're just so, the youngest of them. So they're also almost like more OCD. Like I've got to rearrange uh -huh. my shit over and over again. And wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've got spell slots for fire spells for, you know, one to seven. What's the eighth level fire spell? I don't know that one. I need to go find that one. Right. And it's that kind of shit. Like mm -hmm. these guys are completionists too. I like, always oh, like joke that I can do anything if I watch a YouTube video and make one call to my dad. So like, that's what, as you were describing, like, that's what I envisioned. Like they have all this information and they have like all these skills and stuff and they could do it. They just need to find that thing, you know? Like if I find of, uh, yeah, if I find that world. scroll, I can do it. You just gotta give me a second. <laughs> I don't know it right now. I will in 10 minutes. Um, so that's like I definitely identified with that. I also really like the topaz, um, the weirdness of them of the Fisbins dragons. Just they were very quirky. I liked that they um I think it was the topaz that they don't like being wet, but they're good swimmers. Um, like that quirkiness of the, my daughter and I still laugh about that all the time. <laughs> I can so, yeah. <laughs> I think my favorite one, and I'm trying to remember which, which one it is that absolutely hates dealing with people. That is absolutely antisocial as fuck. I think it's the Emerald Dragon in Fizzbands that's like has the ability to just become invisible and fuck off every once in a while because it just does not want to deal with people hives like a cat mm -hmm. yeah like i find that really cool and interesting because most other dragons at least the metallics and chromatics are so vain they're so they know their own power they're aware of it and they're and they're willing to flaunt it not not the emerald dragon like even the other gem dragons have a little bit of that here and there but the the emerald dragon's just like guys can you please just fuck off and leave me alone Mm. I just want to be over here doing my thing. Yeah. And I, I really like that. I think it's interesting that when if you were to go through, well, we've now covered 20 dragons, like, including like chromatic, metallic, gem, and gemstone. If you were to hit one at every level, I think that the emerald dragon from, from Fizzbands is probably one of the more unique role-playing opportunities. And I, I do like that quite a bit. Yeah. Beauty. Okay, Pepperini, you can get us out of here. Okay. Okay. I was just seeing if that was right that the the emeralds were. I um, think that I the think most it is they are um, very curious. They're curious, cunning, and manipulative. So they like to watch people and learn about them. Yeah, but like from a distance, right? They yeah. were the ones that were antisocial about it. I yeah, they want to know what you're doing. I think, but not be involved in it. <laughs> All right, so that's all for the discussion on Gym Dragons. Make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be leaving the Forgotten Realms to explore what an angelic military looks like when it doesn't follow a deity. Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch and a Patreon. This episode and others can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits. And don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations.
All right. Okay. Uh, so we'll, let's move on. We're talking a lot on this one. So we're going to move on to the gem stalker. Before we do, and this doesn't need to be edited on the podcast, I need to pee. So I got to <laughs> I'm going to come back. Okay. okay. I like that he turned his video off too. Like he, like as if he's peeing in the room. You don't know. You don't... <laughs> <laughs> he just stood up, put the jar on the desk in front of the keyboard. <laughs> the Gatorade bottle. <laughs> I, I, he's probably making eye contact with me right now. It's very bothersome. You can feel it through the screen. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed he muted himself as well. And I mean, that I get if the bathroom's like right beside the the um, office there. But like, I hope that he didn't turn his speakers off. I hope he can hear me talking <laughs> at length. Terry, can you hear me talking about your urine? <laughs> this is when, all going when, into the show. <laughs> when we used to record in Dan's basement, he has a bathroom that is like it's a it's connected right to the room that we recorded in. Mm-hmm. It's a very very small bathroom, and we would record right next to the door. So we would often pause, and one person would get up and go to the bathroom. And whenever that happened, Dan or I would would make a point of talking to the person going to the bathroom. Now, if it was Dan going to, like, just quickly get, like, go and pee, I would sit there and yell through the door at him. It would make him uncomfortable. When he would do it to me, I didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. But we would often get Terry, who would, like, go in there, and we would sit there and try to have a conversation with him through the bathroom door. And he used to freak him out, and it was so funny. It's about Dan's place? Yeah. Yeah. You'd think Dan would be more used to it having kids. Like, somebody is forever talking to you through the bathroom door. <laughs> When you have kids in the house. Bothers me. <laughs> Guys, I'm really sorry. I've had a lot of coffee. I need to pee again, but I <laughs> I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to get through this uh, if we don't. So I'll be right back. Yeah, it's all right. No worries. Get right- a different dice while you're out. <laughs> Let's talk again about Terry's bladder. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can just see him shaking his head as he walks away. <laughs> We're just going to have 20 minutes of post-credits about Terry peeing. <laughs> um, I really, really like the uh, Gem Dragons. The one thing that I am learning more than anything else is the fact that uh, they are willing to work with other like Gem Dragons way more than the Metallics of the Chromatics mm-hmm. who want to work together. You don't just run into one yes. Gem Dragon. You run into councils or pairs or trios or like... There's there are more than one at any given time, and they really do support each other. Especially the sapphire and emerald; those two, like built into the lore, work together. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. I'm uh I'm excited to see what you're going to think about with the gemstone dragons. Yeah, the new ones or the cobalts. Yeah, they're they're fucking wild. It's it's an interesting gonna, it's an interesting alternative. I'm gonna pull up that artwork again before we get into them. Yes, I'm back. So the only As... my camera off is so you don't see me in the background clumsily trying to. I'm prepping for my D and D game this week. Where I have like <laughs> my maps and stuff out, and I don't want to just be clambering over things. Mm-hmm. Looking really awkward. Creatures. <laughs> Adam's dying. Yeah. Stay on mic, Adam, in case you die. We need to ask you questions. <laughs> Like, I can never remember his address. <laughs> Freaking day. <clears throat> Can't catch my breath. <laughs> Just relax. Dan got us all sick like three weeks ago. Dan did? I love that we're still blaming things on Dan. We all went to the D&D movie. And he got me and Dave and Charlie and Megan all sick. And we're all still hacking and coughing. It's <laughs> been absolutely brutal. So talking for longer than an hour just rips my throat out. 
I got a DM later today. <laughs> I saw Dan last weekend. I think he mentioned something about being sick. I didn't get sick yet, but I am lucky. He's always sick. Anyway. Yeah, Peps, the Emerald ones are the ones that uh, it says they cloak their own presence so they can observe others without being discovered. Yeah. So they're they're always hiding in the shadows. They're like that quiet person in the party that just like sits in the corner and knows everything about everybody but doesn't talk to anybody and nobody knows who they are. It's like fucking Dave at a party, right? Like, <laughs> holy shit. He will sit in the corner and not talk to anyone. He will like manage the Spotify playlist and just like mm-hmm. be antisocial as fuck. And then after the party, he'll be like, you hear when this person was talking about this? Did you see that that happened? Man, that person was really drunk. And I'm like, when did this fucking happen, man? I was, you know, in the kitchen doing shots. I'm never aware of what's going on with other people at social gatherings. I mean, that made it sound so arrogant. I mean, I'm only ever aware of the conversation that I am in. Yeah. I swear. Uh, yeah, well, I, I pick up multiple conversations all over the place. I'm that person that, like, knows. It, like, it, it, It's the female brain that can multitask. <laughs> I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Men like things. Women like people. You get it? I don't know. I yeah. I like a lot of things. <laughs> Just moving rooms. I, I have like too many people. things. I have too many things. <laughs> All right, cool. We're done. All right, done. that's it. I'm gonna save Perfect. this and then go do three hours of D and D prep. I know. I'm still sitting. I'm not getting up from this chair. I'm just going on my next thing. Yeah, I'm I'm opening (laughs) spreadsheets. I am introducing a town, and I know they're going to just fucking go into every shop. It's the first town they've been in in the campaign. Yeah. They're going to want to sell everything and talk to everyone. And (laughs) So it's just going to be in. Just have 23 names ready to go. Oh, fuck. It's going to be a role-playing session, and I can feel it in my bones. And I'm just, Mm -hmm. like, not ready for it. I'm so glad that I'm coughing my fucking lungs out right now, too. This is going to be great. (laughs) Why are you still here? Leave already.